goes directly into what we're talking about in our fourth and last installment of Jesus and We. And what we've been doing, uh, if you've been, uh, been kind of missing for the past couple weeks, is we've been going over four key principles that we believe that Jesus is calling us to. The first week we talked about how we're faith-filled, big thinkers, that we would never insult God with small thinking or safe living. And the, one of the best ways that we've done that is we partner with Nebraska Land Days. Um, now, I know some of us were thinking, you know, Nebraska Land Days, I think of cowboys and alcohol. Let me tell you, there's a lot more that goes into that than those two things. Uh, it, 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 I believe Jesus calls us to go into those places and just minister to the people. And so we're being faith-filled, big thinkers, and we never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Week two, we talked about how we are spiritual contributors not spiritual consumers, that uh, we are, that the church does not exactly exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. Uh, that, that's why we're here. Week three, we talked about how we as a church will actually lead the way in generosity. And let me tell you, um, last week I talked about a need and that need was met fourfold. And so that was really, really good. So you can give God some praise about that. That's awesome. A lot of great things with that. And so, and let me tell you, just because of an increase in abundance, uh, we don't hoard that to ourselves. We believe that if the more generous you are, the more that God is generous with you. And so that is what we're going to be doing with that and helping out people uh, that, come to, uh, that come and need assistance and whatever it may be. Uh, but today, the title of this message, you'll kind of see on top of your worship guide notes, is Anything Short of Sin. Anything short of sin. And we're going to be looking at the principle of evangelism, running after those who don't know God. And what we're going to be doing is we are going to be looking at Mark 2, chapter 1 through 5. Sorry, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. You can open your Bibles there. Uh, and as you turn there, I want to share a little bit of my heart of this church and what I believe this church is, exists to do. Uh, when my wife and I came here about four years ago, God gave us a vision of a church that really existed for the least of these the least of these. And now, now, many of us might think, like, well, who's the least of these? I'm not the least of these. Uh, the least of these are who are really kind of outcasts in society, those who are far uh, from God, but also far from church, really. Uh, those who uh, maybe are not accepted with social norms, those who are just kind of just ostracized in a way, maybe lost or forgotten. Uh, but we believe that this church exists for the least of these. Talking about the scripture that Jesus said, love the least of these. And we have an idea what this looked like, but when we came down here, it was more clear than ever. And so we took uh, off leading this church in the direction and the desire to reach those who are not being reached. And I know most churches would agree that they want to do the same. In fact, this is kind of a common mission for a lot of churches that, yes, we want to go after them. We want to reach the lost. We want to go after these people who don't know Jesus. However, sometimes methods that are being used don't seem to work well. Let me give you an example of a church that I grew up. I grew up uh, in an old Pentecostal church, old Pentecostal, a lot like this. Uh, if you guys don't know, this church was planned clear back in the mid-1900s, and this has a lot of great history, a lot of rich heritage that I'll actually be sharing here uh, towards the end of my sermon to show you what exactly uh, what we're going to be doing. Uh, but I grew up in an old Pentecostal church uh, in Miles City, Montana, and the Bible was taught well, and it was a great church to go to. I loved my church growing up, and I pray that you guys love this church as well, but this church, I, I loved it. It still has a special spot in my heart, um, but it was a great church to go to if you already knew Jesus. Let me let that sink in for a little bit. It was a great church to go to if you already knew Jesus. 
If you didn't know Jesus, if you were far from him or not even heard of him or uh, maybe hurt by the church in the past or whatever it may be, uh, if you, if you would have came to the church growing up, uh, it might have felt like you were coming in the middle of a strange meeting. It, it might have felt uh, like we were using language you didn't know, doing things that you didn't understand. Uh, if you didn't know Jesus, uh, you may have walked out of the service maybe knowing the inner workings of eschatology, which is just a really fancy church word for the study of the book of Revelations, uh, but not so much about Jesus. Uh, it was a church that you would be uh, a little scared to invite friends to because you didn't know if the preacher was going to call you out in front of your friends, or uh, if you sat on the first pew, he might just stand right in front of you and preach to you and never look at anyone else. Um, if you already knew Jesus, you loved that. It was great. Like I said, it was an old Pentecostal church. It was a good Holy Spirit-driven church, and I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. But for those who didn't know Jesus, it kept them away a little bit. And I share this story because what we're going to study uh, this morning is that we are a church born to reach people. That's why the church exists. We exist to reach people, those who have no clue what the gospel is, people that may have heard about Jesus, but they have no clue who Jesus is and why he loves them so much. This is why we are here and that we would be a church that, that, here, that, that is here in the reality of North Platte. I think sometimes, uh, and this is with every community, not just with ours, but uh, with every community, we, we kind of get lost in, in this right here. And, and it's a great place to be and to be in the mountaintop where the Spirit is here and He's speaking and, and Jesus is moving. And it's so great. But sometimes we don't come off the mountaintop and step into the reality of the community that we live in. The reality that two prominent people killed themselves this week. The reality is that North Platte is number three or number two on the sex trade in the state of Nebraska. That Nebraska land days is one of the highlights of sex slavery here. The reality of people who uh, are getting divorced on a regular basis, the divorce rate is just skyrocketing. The reality of children who are beaten and forgotten our foster care system, that's one of the highest in our state. This is the reality that we live in. This is the reality that we need to recognize, the reality that we need to know, and that we would be a church that is here in the midst of North Platte and really know what's going on, and number one, willing to love the least of these, to love the least of these. In fact, let me show you a verse that Jesus tells the religious people uh, of his day. And this really messed things up. It was crazy, but I love it. It's Mark 2, chapter 17. I don't, do we have it up there? Uh, Mark 2, chapter 17. And it says this. It says, when Jesus heard it, this is when the religious people are talking about and saying, oh, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Uh, it's about the story that we're going to read here pretty quick. But he says, he said to them, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came down not to heal those who are already well, but those who are sick. I came down not to call on those who think they are righteous, but those who are sinners and lost. And the reason why this verse is so key, church, is because it gives us an idea of who we are supposed to be running after as the church. It gives us the, the map, the image, the, the glimpse of the soul that we're trying to run after, that Jesus, he did not come to help those who think that they're already righteous, but rather he came to those who are unrighteous. He's a great physician, and he did not come to help those who are healthy, but he came to help those who are sick. And let me tell you, church, when you walk around North Platte, there is a lot of sick people. 
There is a lot of people, and maybe you're one of here this morning, I'll just call it what it is, but maybe there's some of us here this morning that are drowning so much in our sin, you can't even see Jesus. And I pray that through this, that through uh, just coming to this body of Christ here called the Rock Church, that you would see that glimmer of hope. That is Jesus Christ. And this story that we're going to read about, and I I love this story because I studied it in a way that I never studied it before, is really going to show us just how we do that. Just a little bit of context. Uh, Jesus is on the scene and returns uh, to the town of Capernaum. If you have never been to Capernaum, if you've never been to Israel, I encourage you to come join us here in the next year. Uh, You actually get to see Capernaum and experience all that Capernaum offers. It's a beautiful uh, little uh, uh, historical town. But Jesus is returning to Capernaum, and people are getting... uh, just kind of word that he is back, that Jesus is back. So they're wondering what's going to happen. And so they come to meet Jesus in this building, and people just begin to crowd so much so that there's no room to enter. And this is where we're going to pick up. Mark 2, verse 1. When he entered Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home, he meaning Jesus. And many gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word to them. So it was completely jam-packed, clear up to the door frame, can't even get in. And they came in, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is kind of the main story we're going to be looking at, but the first thing that I want you to see uh, here this morning is that Jesus goes after this man's biggest need. Biggest need. Now, we may have thinking like, oh, he, this dude's paralyzed, so why didn't he heal him right away? Because that wasn't his biggest need. And this should open our eyes to us a little bit. The biggest need in North Platte is not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. The biggest need in North Platte is not money, it's not jobs, it's not businesses, it's not those things. It's people need Jesus. People need Jesus. Jesus goes right after this guy's spiritual needs and forgives his sins. And this is where Jesus, I believe, is where he's calling us as a church that we're not the ones to go out uh, to meet physical needs, but rather to meet spiritual needs as a church. And it takes us to this idea that for which this message is built around. This big idea is this, that we as the church, we as the church, we will do anything short of sin to reach people. Anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. To reach people no one is reaching, we have to do things. We'll do things no one is doing. Let me say that one more time. We as the church, we'll do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. To reach people no one is reaching. There's a lot of unreached people in North Platte Church. We'll do things that no other church is doing. We are a church that is willing to do whatever it takes short of sin to reach those who don't know Jesus Christ. We're a church that we will do things that no one is doing in order to reach those who are not being reached. And this is what type of church the Rock Church is and what it's going to be all about. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It starts with you. It starts with you. It doesn't start Sunday mornings. It doesn't start with me preaching. It doesn't start with worship. It starts with you at your job at your home, at the Nebraska Land Day party, your backyard barbecue, whatever it may be, but it starts with you. 
And so for the very last time, you'll see kind of this rating scale uh, right below here. And, and no one, again, no one looks at these. It's between you and God. But I want you to rate yourself on where you think you are with your love of people who don't know Jesus. Just be honest with yourself. I'm, I'm not looking. No one should be looking. But go ahead and just rate yourself. Where, where are you with your love for people who don't know Jesus? And again, you can't put a 10 because unless you're like Billy Graham, you can't put a 10. That's, I don't, is Billy Graham here? No, he's in glory. I want you to rate yourself where your love of people is for people who don't know Jesus, and you can't put a 10. But maybe you're a 7, 8, or a 9 where you always, you're always on the lookout to meet people who don't know Jesus. Maybe you're intentional like that. You're inviting people to church to, to know Jesus, and you truly care about their spiritual state. Maybe you, like my mom, who you just pray for people name by name every single day. You just pray for them that they would be impacted by Jesus. But maybe you're a two, three, or four. Just call it what it is where you're not as intentional about it. Maybe you actually avoid people who don't know Jesus. Maybe you're a five or six where, you, you, where I'd like to call it a drive-by evangelist. You guys know what a drive-by is? A terrible thing, but sometimes a lot of Christians do it. Meaning this, where they'll post scripture on Facebook or Instagram and hope that your unsaved friends will scroll through it and see it and then have a big revelation of Jesus Christ. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you do your drive-by in a way that, you know, you kind of roll down your window and you, you Jesus loves you, and roll it back up and drives away. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I believe that there are things that God calls us in order to reach people with the love of Christ. There are things that he calls us to, but I want you to be honest with yourself. Where are you at with your love of people who don't know Jesus? I will be completely honest. When I, when I was a youth pastor in Scotts Bluff, I would probably put myself at a 3-4. And then my first year here, my mind was just blown because Jesus taught me some of the most amazing things on how to love people, to love the least of these and I tell you, when you can do that, when you can realize where your love is at and you pursue the love that Jesus, the very same love that he loves us with, things will begin to change. And the things begin to change are one of the few things that maybe we don't, we don't necessarily like. Maybe we don't want to do it because it's uncomfortable. But I believe there are things that God calls us to in order to reach people with the love of Christ. And the first one being this. I only got a few points this morning because we're wrapping up the series. Number one is this, we're called to bear some burdens. We're called to bear some burdens. If you go back to story at verse three and see what happens, you have these four friends. These four friends, they have a fifth friend and they're thinking, do you know what? Jesus is coming back to town. And if I know who Jesus is, I heard that he can heal people. And if he can heal people, they can heal our friend. And so we need to get our friend to Jesus. Let me tell you, carrying a paralytic man across the countryside to Capernaum, that is a burden. But it was a burden that they were willing to carry. These four guys were so set on bringing their friend to Jesus that they're willing to do anything to get him to see Jesus, even if it meant that he had, they had to carry him there, which they did. Church, this takes a different type of mindset to do this. For the longest time, we have the mindset that we want to, to invite people to Jesus, that we want to just let them know about it, that I really, I want my friend to know Jesus, or that I want my friend to come to church. But the problem with this mindset is that it's a want. I want my friends to know Jesus. 
And really, that's not bad because we've been taught that. Don't get down on yourself if that's the way you've been thinking. But I want to challenge you with a, with a new mindset. What if we start switching the word want with need? I need to bring my friend to church. I need my family to know Jesus. I need my business people that I work with to know the glory of God. What if we start switching that word want with the word need? Because let me tell you, we teach the two words very differently. If a want happens, good. But if it doesn't happen, that's just what happens because it's a want. But if it's a need, it is an utmost necessary essential part of someone's life. Let me tell you, the people who don't know Jesus in North Platte need Jesus. They need Jesus. There's no way around it. There's not a plan B. There's not a second choice. They need Jesus. Here's where I'm going to challenge you with. We, we need to switch our mindset and wanting to people to know Jesus, to have to get to people to know Jesus. That we don't just, we don't want people to come to Jesus, but we have to get people to Jesus. These four friends, they had to get their friend to Jesus. They had to get their friend to Jesus. This is a necessary for their lives. There's no way other around. Knowing Jesus is a must and a need that it means that the way we do things in this church sometimes have to change. Not just this, I'm just talking about just church, the overall umbrella. Things might have to change. If, if Jesus wasn't going to pass by these four friends, then by golly, they were going to pick up their paralyzed friend and bring him to Jesus themselves. That is a mindset that we have to adopt. And church, let me tell you, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. People are so skeptical of Christians and how much we care, and it's because of how we bring people to Jesus. There are so many things. that There are Christians that think that this is going to reach people, and that's not how it works. There are people who, who, who Christians, I don't know why they call themselves Christians, that maybe, they, maybe we will be in heaven together, but they'll throw like big picketing signs and say, turn or burn. Turn or burn. That doesn't work. It happens here in North Platte. It doesn't work. There are people that, you know, they stand on their milk crates and they get out and they just start yelling through their megaphone. Let, let me tell you, I heard it this way. I was doing some, some, some learning. It's such a radical way of thinking. And usually more times, radicalness does not bring the love of Jesus. Radical way of thinking does not bring the love of Jesus. There are Christians who post things on Facebook hoping their friends scrolling through will maybe see it and that they'll be changed, but more times that's not how it works. There are people who do these things, but let me tell you, that's, that's not how it works. I've grown up in both sides of these. I've been doing both sides of these. I've done them. But I have never seen a better result of people coming to Jesus when you just show them the authentic love of Jesus Christ. Do you know why people are so skeptical of Christians? Because more times than not, Christians don't start with caring. They start by sharing how much they know. Have you guys heard this saying? There's a saying that holds true to this, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Let me say that one more time. I think that went over heads. There are people who do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Our first job when we meet someone that doesn't know Jesus is just to love them, to care for them, 
maybe even to bear a burden. I mean, that's what Jesus did for us. I mean, that, that's what happens. And this is why, church, just as the four men from, from the Bible, that they didn't just invite their friends and say, hey, do you want to go to Jesus? I heard he heals. I doubt they even given him the choice. They said, you know, we're going to bring you to Jesus. You need to know Jesus. And this is why, church, this is the four men from the Bible. We don't just invite people. We bring them to Jesus. And we'll do whatever it takes short of sin. And it starts with you. By if your friend is hurting, you listen to them. If their mom dies, don't just text them sorry with a sad emoji. Attend the funeral. If they have a baby, maybe go to the baby shower. If they're sick, you bring them a meal. And the thing about this is, church, that it is so good at doing these things. We are so good at doing these things with other Christians. Right? We'll go out of our way. We'll do the hospital visits. We'll attend the funerals. We'll go to the baby shower. We will celebrate with other Christians. But let me tell you, what builds the kingdom of God is when we share the same love that we show each other is when we show it to those who don't know Jesus. That we'd be willing to do the same things to let them know. And let me tell you, when you start doing that, things begin to change. But Vaughn, that, that sounds, I, don't, I know it's a little uncomfortable. It might, it might break some rules. I don't know. I mean, what if the person was in the hot sheets yesterday? I mean, do I still associate myself with them? Yes. Just a little, little bit. If, if you read scripture, do you know who Jesus was associated with? Prostitutes. Drunkards. Adultery. Gluttony. That's who the religious people Jesus said that they were. So let me tell you, the thing that I had to learn the most is this next thing. We're called to bear some burdens, but we're also called to break some rules. We're called to break some rules. Any rule breakers in the house this morning? Aaron, here a little bit? You like breaking rules? All right, cool. Well, listen, and those who don't like breaking rules, chime in a little bit. You're going to have some fun. I am a rule breaker. I, I've broken some common rules. I mean, uh, for instance, I never waited 30 minutes after eating to go swimming. I just ate and I swam. And guess what? Didn't cramp once. I, I don't wear a seatbelt most of the times. So I don't know why. Maybe because I grew up in the country and our seatbelts never worked. And so, I mean, the, the other day, I mean, we were having people in the back of the pickup, and we actually, we, got, we actually got in trouble by law enforcement. He was a nice guy. But we're just like, hey, we're just going down the way, hopping back in the pickup, we'll go. And that, I guess that's against the rules. I didn't know that. I didn't know that things changed. And so, I mean, so we, we just break some rules here and there. Another rule that, that I broke is I kissed Jill on our first date. Yeah, I did. And you know why I did? Because I wanted to kiss her. So that's what I was going to do. Most people say, you got to wait till the third or fourth date. I don't care. So that's why I, I drive about five to ten miles per, miles per hour over the speed limit. And yes, I've gotten, for, gotten in trouble with it. It happens. I, hey, let me tell you a little story before we get a little kind of deep here. Uh, the one I got in trouble is, uh, I'm going to lay my sins out here for all you all to see. But I was on a church trip uh, last year, and I was going to pick up our Nicaragua missions team. And I was going in the Nebraska line, and the Colorado line was there. And Colorado has amazing speed limits because you can go like 80, 85, and not get in trouble. I thought I was already in Colorado. And I was going about 85 and a 65. 
and a highway patrolman pulled me over. And lucky me, I had my Rock Church polo on. I had it, Rock Church. This guy pulls up, and I'm by Akron, a little outside of there, just a little bit on the Nebraska side. And I'm like, if I name drop some of my pastor friends who are here, maybe he'll let me off the hook. So I do those things. And yes, I know it's not very Christian-like, but I did it. And I go there, and let me tell you what the nice officer did. $90 ticket. I got one. And you know what the council said when I showed him the ticket? That's on you. They weren't going to pay for it. I wasn't going to make the church pay for it. That was my own thing. But, I mean, we're called to break some rules every now and then, and it's okay. But let me, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I'm not talking about the rules that Jesus, the, the, the bars that he said. I'm talking about the own rules that we've set in place in front of ourselves. Like I said, more times than not, Christians, we can get in the way of ourselves. We set up rules that Jesus never intended. You know, in fact, you know what's really interesting about this? In the Old Testament, we read all those things, and we read all through drama, like, oh, my goodness. Like, they had to do all of this stuff, and there was all these rules. And let me, did you know God did not put those in place? He only had ten commandments in the Old Testament. The other 600 Jewish laws, that's how many were existed right there, was all set up by the religious people. God just said, if you just follow these ten, you'll be all right. But that wasn't enough. Too many times, Christians, we get in the way of ourselves because we set up rules that don't even exist in heaven. We set up this. We set up standards. We set up those things. And we're like, you know, if you do this and this and this and this and this and this, maybe. I believe we're called to break some rules. I believe Jesus calls us to break some rules. Not the biblical ones stay in the scripture, but the ones that we have created for ourselves and actually inhibit us doing the things that Jesus calls us to do. And again, these four guys in the story, they did just that. They got to the place where Jesus was and was carrying their friend. And they were getting excited because they knew that they're about to see Jesus and their friend was about to be changed for his entire life. But there's one problem. The one problem was this. The place was packed out to the door. There was no room to get in, let alone carry your paralytic friend through the door. No way in. And so you know what they did? Did you catch that? They started looking around. Well, if we can't get through the door, Steve, how do we get in there? His name is Steve. It's a very Hebrew name. And so they see the stairs, and so they go up the stairs, and I did some research here in a little context thing, is that they, they had this uh, dirt floor up on top, up on top of the house, and it was made of three things. It was, uh, it was, uh, was uh, thatch, that's the word I'm looking for, thatch, mud, and manure, three things. And the reason they had manure on there is because they could grow grass, and during the cool evenings, they can lay on top of their house. And so they climb up the stairs, and they lay their friend down, and they start digging. Let me tell you, if people started drooling through our hole right here, and we're in the middle of a worship service because this place was packed out, let me tell you what we would all do. We would stop what we're doing and say, stop that. Insurance ain't going to cover that. It's not going to work that way. But these four guys, they carried their friend up, and they start digging. And back in the day, they, they did this because they were so excited. Mark 2, uh, 4, when the crowd, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made the opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Imagine that with me. What would that look like? Jesus is just preaching the best sermon of his day. I mean, I'm pretty sure all his sermons are super good. But like he's just there and the people are like, oh, that's good. And they're writing it down and they're learning. They're really leaning in. They're saying, no, we've got to get our friend in there. That is Jesus and he's paralyzed and he's got to be made well. So we're going to dig through the roof and we're going to lay him down. You have a packed out church service with Jesus. 
And then you start seeing parts of the roof fall to the floor. Here's another thing, and this is just like my own mind. I don't know if you need, I'm going to go there anyways. Like, what if they didn't bring enough rope? Have you thought of that? I mean, just out of curiosity, I mean, they say, it doesn't say they lowered them by rope. They said they carried them on a mat. I don't know what they did. Like, they forgot enough rope, and they're lowering them down. They're like, how much room? They got six feet. Okay, we're going to drop them on four. And so just, just, it could have happened. We don't know. But there's one lesson that I do want us to learn from this. If you want to bring people to Jesus, like these four friends with the paralytic, you're going to have to dig through some nasty stuff. You're going to have to dig through a lot of crap. You're going to have to go through that. There's no way around it. If you truly want to bring those who don't know Jesus, you're going to have to go through some of that nasty stuff. And you're going to have to dig through it and dig through it and dig through it. Not because of what you have. It's because it shows your friend how much you care. It shows you how much they care. As a church, I believe we're called to do the same. To reach people, we're called to do things that no one in the church is doing in order to reach people no one is reaching. And this really excites me because this is a part of our four-square DNA. Our four-square denom- denomination that we're a part. This is a part of who we are. And, and I want to share this a little bit. We're founded by uh, a rule breaker. Her name is Amy Simple McPherson. We've got a picture up there. You can throw that up there. That's her. Uh, styles have definitely changed, thank God. Um, but that's Amy Simple McPherson. And uh, she founded the Four Square Denomination. And let me tell you, she was a rule breaker. She did not care about social norms. She did not care who was judging her. She wanted to reach the lost so bad. Don't believe me? Here's one of the first things. Uh, was Four Square was founded in 1927 by this woman. Do you know who the churches were found by back in that day? Not women. Men. But she didn't care. She was going to run after who God was telling her to run after. She's a woman, she was a woman in a world where pastors were only men, and it was not right if a woman would lead a church, a mega church at that. Number two, her church was in Los Angeles, California, where movie stars and celebrities were there. And so she knew the people that she was reaching she knew who she was reaching. And so she was going after these things. And she also knew that if she was going to reach these people, she had to make sure how to do it. So the first thing that she did, she grew her hair out. Now, we're thinking that's a super short haircut. Uh, back in that day, uh, women were not, they just put everything up in a bun. But she let her hair down and cleared down past her earlobes. My goodness. And on top of that, she showed her ankles. But she did those to let the people know, do you know what? I care enough about you. I'm not going to set up and listen to those rules that people have set in place that's going to inhibit from me reaching you with the gospel of Christ. Number three, the church world at that time, the Pentecostals consisted of sweaty tents packed with people with fire and brimstone preaching. That type of preaching is not bad. I've done a few myself, and uh, sometimes they turn out all right. but, But Amy did not do that. She actually built a church. A big church. It still exists today, and it still has a four-square church in it. And on top of that, she's one of the first churches to do something that was so out of the ordinary, it blew people, and it made the religious people mad. You know what it was? She's one of the first churches, one of the first pastors to use stage sets. 
stage designs, lights, props, those things. In fact, people were saying, oh, it's more like a theater thing than actual church service. Let me tell you, more people came to know Christ through her in the Los Angeles area than anything else. That's part of our four-square DNA. That's who we are as a denomination. Church, we're called to break some rules. We're, we're supposed to be innovative in how we reach people, which means that we will do things outside of the box to reach those who don't know Jesus Christ. The church is to lead the way in engaging the public and meeting the needs of the needy, not the government. That's our job. The church is to lead the way in developing healthy relationships with one another and Jesus. It's not Facebook's job. It's our job. We're going to lead the way in this, not because we want to be different, but because we must be different to reach those who are far from God. So for an example, in August, we're committing a whole week to go out in the public, and we're going to call it Love Week. Some churches do this. We haven't done it here yet. But what we're going is we're going to help and we're going to go talk with the local people. Um, I've already talked with some, a few of the city officials. But we're going to start doing some projects a whole week in August. And beyond that, they're not going to pay for it. We are. And so there's a few city parks that we're going to repaint. We might repaint some teachers' lounges in the school down from the street from us. We're going to go out and be with the community. Because that's where Jesus was. We want to run after the community. Let me tell you a really cool thing that we started doing. Uh, I posted on Facebook a couple of weeks ago uh, that I met with the special needs director of the school. And uh, it was a great meeting, and uh, we got a foothold in the schools that a lot of churches don't have, which is really cool. Um, but beyond that, uh, Jill and I, we started a support Facebook page uh, with parents uh, who have children that were born with special needs. And at first, we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We thought it was going to be kind of a trudging thing. We didn't know if we had to like, get people there. Let me tell you, we have over, I think, I, I would say, over, yeah, over 45 people right now in that group. Over 45 people. And let me tell you, that was launched only about 24 hours ago. 24 people. That's bigger than this church with all their families and everything. And let me tell you, most of these families don't have a church home. You see, our game is to get people and to love them with children who are born with special needs, but the end result is that we are running after their biggest need, and that is to let them know that there's a Jesus that loves them, that loves them and their children. And let me tell you, I believe it, our church is going to grow from this. They're going to be bringing their children, and let me tell you, it's going to make us uncomfortable. We're going to have to change things up. We're going to have to do a different things. We actually might have to put an elevator over here so the kids with, who can't walk and all that can actually get up to Kids Rock. Whatever we have to do, we don't know. But we're willing to look at it if it means that we're going to be letting people know that there is a Jesus that loves them. Church, we are the best organization to get the gospel out. We are the best church to do it. We are a church that do not judge people without Jesus, but we love them with Jesus. Jesus did not come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. He did not come for the righteous, but he came for the sinners. And so as a people of Jesus, we are called to bury burdens. We're called to bury burdens. To be in the mess and helping them, carrying them to Jesus. And as a people of Jesus, we're called to break some of the social rules 
be innovative, and do anything short of sin in how we reach people who don't know Jesus Christ. But it all starts with you in your life. This whole Jesus and we series starts with us living these principles in our own life. Faith-filled, big thinking, leading the way in generosity, reaching the lost, loving people with Jesus, spiritually contributing to our community. And I believe as a church, when we pursue after these things, allowing Jesus to take us to new heights as a church, things will begin to change. And let me tell you, he's already doing this. He's already doing this. Let's pray.